Christ has risen. He has risen. All right. What a, what, a, what a great declaration. This declaration has been made through the centuries dating all the way back to the second century. What we Everything is based on the resurrection. Y'all can be seated. We have to come to this day. We look forward to coming to this day. This is the best day of the year and you're spending it with me. I am blessed. Uh, that you chose to be here and to be a part of this celebration that uh, I pray is epic, spiritually epic in your life, because again, I cannot overemphasize, I'm not doing it for dramatization, that this is the most important day of the year. There's a couple things that just kind of capstone this day. This is the day when the relationship that was fractured with mankind and God, humankind, is brought back together again. God brings us back into relationship with him. We were broken, we were messed up, jacked up, a hot mess, and because of our choices, because of our nature, because of the things that we've done since mom and daddy and mom and daddy's daddy, daddy, mom and daddy, way, way, way back, we've been doing this. And it's called sin. It's called bad attitudes. It's called actions. A lot of this. And this created this wall of separation between us. In fact, as we read last week in Romans 5, it says it like this. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. While we were still in, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled. I love the word twice there being used. Shall we be saved by his life? So it's not only his death. We're, that's how we're reconciled. It said that death of his son, but it also says we're reconciled by his life. It takes both. You, before you can have a resurrection, you've got to have a death before there can be life. In this scenario, there's got to be the recognition of that death and that separation from God. That's the one reason. The second reason that this day is incredibly awesome and over the top, the best day of of your life, is we are liberated. This is a day not of independence, July 4th. This is a day of liberation. And I'll talk and unpack that hopefully a little bit enough where you'll lean in on that. Hopefully we don't take it for granted. This is a big day. This is our Emancipation Proclamation Day. If you think back to Abraham Lincoln, whenever he wrote out in December the 12th, 1863, he wrote that, listen, there will be no more slaves in our land. That was the day that he put a, a, a stake in the ground that there was not going to be any more slavery tyranny of slavery. This is our Emancipation Proclamation Day where we can stand in the streets, we can live out our lives, we can be in our homes and we can say, listen, I'm free, I'm free. Today is the beginning of my life as that song that we just declared so loudly. Here's another verse for you. I'm throwing lots of verses at you, so hang on, put your seatbelts on. We're gonna be going quickly today. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 15 says it like this. He died for everyone. I love it that every last one of us, the most horrible person on the planet to the most good and kind person on the planet, no one escapes God's ultimate sacrifice. And so that those who receive, he's not going to force himself on us. He's going to, not going to make us be something that we're not. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says the same thing. For those who receive the Son, they'll have the power to become the children of God. So receiving is very important. We no longer, we receive this, his new life. Will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they live for Christ. 
No longer under the tyranny of self-indulgence. No longer chasing every whim that comes about in my, or every desire. Think, hey, I like chasing my desires. Listen, those desires end us up in bankruptcy and regret and shame and a big dumpster fire at the end. And we look back on our life and we go, where did, where did all that money go? Where did all my time go? Where did all my life go? Listen, let's stop it now. Let's get liberated from that train of thinking, that mindset, and let's live a new life under a new paradigm, who died and was raised for them. Very key. He died and he was raised so that we can have new life. Until there is death, there cannot be a resurrection. You're going to hear me say that again and again and again. We've been talking for several weeks, so if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we call the series Mosaic, and we've been talking about just how our life is like a mosaic. We, you look at your life, you look at it sometimes, and you've got all these little broken pieces. Maybe broken relationships, maybe broken promises, maybe broken anticipations or expectations. You know, you've got all this little brokenness, some shame in there mixed in. And what is brokenness but a bunch of pieces? What, what is this mess out here called life? And how does God do anything with it? That's the mosaic. That's the beauty where God takes our mess and he makes it a mosaic. He takes our our brokenness and he makes it beautiful. And this is the work that he has been doing. The problem is in this whole putting together and you think about a mosaic, it's little fragments of metal and stone and, and clay and really means nothing unto itself. But when you bring all those things together and you put mix in the grace of God and you let the artistry of the creator of the universe start taking those broken pieces of your life and you start letting him start shape your life, all of a sudden the mess is no longer a mess. It's now a mosaic. We've been walking through that. It's not been easy. It's not been a journey. But here, I just got back with a group of 29 people from our church and we went over to uh, Turkey and Greece and saw some of these great sites. And one of the places we went to was a place called Sardis, one of the ancient cities. Second century uh, mosaics were on the ground and we were walking on top of second century mosaics. And I asked our guide, I said, why did they let us walk on top of these? These should be preserved under glass, uh, you know, protected from the elements. And this is what the guide said. Maybe they just don't appreciate them. Speaking of the authorities. And then I got to thinking about our mosaic. Sometimes we just take Jesus and his grace and Easter and all the events of it and all that pertains to it. We just flat out take it for granted. And it's a beautiful mosaic of God doing a work inside of us that I pray to God that we will not take. We spent several weeks looking at our brokenness. That was the hard part. In the first three chapters of Romans, I, I, I dreaded that going into the series so much because of those first three chapters. Then we turned the page a few weeks ago, month of April, we spent talking about God's restoration process, how he initiates this process. The month of April, starting today, we're going to start looking at his beautification process. How does he make a mess? How does he take all these broken pieces and how does he start shaping and forming us into this beautiful work? You might look at it like this. Then you, if you're a note taker or something like that, uh, then you might look at this Romans three, uh, 21 to, uh, chapter, all through chapter five, 
uh, it was really dealing with the substitution of God, where he died for me. He paid my sin's penalty, okay? He did that work in my life, and he did this work uh, of changing me. And then it led to this justification, where God did this justifying work. Now, the opposite of that is identification, where I go from substitution to identification. Not only did he died for me, but he died, or I died with him. We're going to read about that today. And not only did he paid for my sin's penalty, but he broke sin's power in my life. That's where we're going to spend the month of April, just breaking down how God, we need to be living in freedom, not living under the shackles of sin. And because of that, he gives me righteousness. He builds it into me. He begins to shape it out of my life. So next week, if you're coming back next week, I want to encourage you to read through Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and be preparing yourself for what is ahead, okay? Be preparing yourself for how God is going to be making a mosaic out of you. You look at Romans chapter 3, it's where, or Romans chapter 4, is where God gives us his righteousness. He makes us righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. I don't do it. I can't do that. Okay. He makes us righteous. Chapter five is where he gives us his life. Okay. We talked about that last week. This week is where he gives us liberty. He gives us the freedom, the freedom to live, the freedom to live outside of the tyranny of the urgent outside of that. And how does he do that? Because he enters into a relationship with us different from every other religion in the world. Think about this. Every other religion in the world, Buddhism, great philosophies. Without Buddha, Buddha dies. You still have great philosophies. Islam, you got the, uh, you got their moral code of conduct and you got the Quran. There's some great teachings in the Quran. Okay. But uh, Muhammad dies. You still got Islam. If Christianity, if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, we have nothing. He is everything. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything else is meaningless. Well, what ha- what he talks about in this chapter is how we have an identification. We belong to. My, I- my identity is not tied up in my name, my title, my social security number, uh, my position in life, what my 401k looks like, what, what subdivision I live in, what people think about me. My, my identification is tied up in a man named Jesus. And multiple times in chapter 5, he's going to talk about, or in chapter 6, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, he's going to talk about us being with Christ. So take your Bibles and let's look at chapter 6. And you'll see how this pertains to Easter, how this pertains to what's going to happen here in just a few moments before our eyes in a beautiful kind of uh, way. What he does is he takes this, he talks about our identification, our belonging to Christ, this new life and this new freedom that we have in Christ, and he parallels it and uses a... um, an imagery, so to speak. He uses this metaphor of baptism. And what does baptism say about my life in Christ? That's why baptism is so, so important. It doesn't make me saved, but it identifies that I am saved. It says that I have a relationship with Christ. And so what does this mean? And some of y'all have come today knowing that, hey, my family member's getting baptized. I'm going to Grace Point. This is the day. Well, this is the beauty of it. We're going to unpack that. 
But some of y'all are like, I'm just here because it's Easter. I'm just here because I got given some pastel colors and told to dress up and I was going to get my photo made later on. You know, some, some, you're here for different reasons, but listen, the beauty of it is hopefully you'll come and you'll encounter an identity with Christ and it will forever change you. So here's, here's the three things I'm going to talk about as we read this passage of scripture. I'm going to talk about the out, out with, out, what I want out of my life, what I want in my life, and where I'm going to go up in life. And that's what you see in the baptism. And you see in the picture of that. But let's look at the passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now you can see right in this that he is turning the page from talking about how I was made right with Christ to how my life is lived after being made right with Christ. Can I just keep doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it? Am I the master of my own ship? Am 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 I the captain of my own soul? I hope not. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death with, uh, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too will walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in his resurrection. There's where it comes down to how this day is so important in our life. We know that our old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free, just like the song we just sang about, from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that He died. He died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives by God. Now listen, this next part is really important for you. So you, put your little name beside that. So you also must consider yourself. Every last one of us has to do a soul examination of ourselves today. Am I dead in sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Am I in that kind of relationship? What does that mean, Mike? Let's talk about it in this way. Out, in, up. Out, in, up. Think about it like that. Out, out with the sin-filled living. The sin filled me where I continue to do what I do and how I want. Sin is out of my life. I'm not my own master anymore. Now, here's the beauty. You don't do that on your own. You don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know, honey, I'm not going to yell at you anymore. She's going to laugh and you're going to have to get mad because you're going to yell at her because you're going to be mad because she's laughing at you. The reality is, is that you don't just conquer sin in your head. It takes a tremendous dose of grace in your life. You have to know grace, have experienced grace, and give grace. Now, we're going to talk about grace in a moment. Let's not go there first because we got to, first of all, clean out the closet. we got to get the junk out of our life. 
And the junk comes out. It says in chapter 5, we didn't even talk about this, verse 20. It says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here's the beauty of grace is I don't care how deep, how wide, how long your truckload of sin is. God's got a bigger truck than you, of grace than you've got of sin. So you can come in here and say, I don't feel worthy. I don't belong in here. The, I, the, people are judging me. I'm sweating right now. In fact, I can smell it. You know, whatever. You know, the, the point is, don't. Go there because whatever you carried into this room, guess what? God's got enough grace to cover every bit of that, every last bit of that. The beauty of his grace cannot be overlooked. Now, what some people did in the first century is the same thing we do in the 21st century. We now take that grace for advantage and we think, hey, I can do what I want because I am saved by grace. Hey, and by the way, if it took a little grace to save me, how about if I sin a lot and there'll be a lot of grace? So there's lots and lots of grace. That's what Paul is trying to go on and and say here in chapter 6, verse 1. And he does it in a rhetorical question kind of way, which he does about eight different times throughout the book of Romans, just ask rhetorical questions. What's a rhetorical question? It's a question with an implied answer. But when you ask a rhetorical question, it forces the brain of the other person to at least answer their question in themselves. So here's the question. Look at it and answer it in your head before you see Paul's. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we just kind of keep doing what we want to do when we want to do it and how we want to do it? Because after all, I'm saved by grace. And God's grace is just going to keep flowing on top of me. So I might as well just keep doing it, living it out. Because in the end, I am once saved, always saved. Mike, you believe that, don't you? I do. But not to give you a license to sin. Because death has to happen before there can be a resurrection. There has to be death in me. And that death is to the attitude that I want to keep sinning. I want to keep doing it my way. I want to keep calling the shots. I want to keep having the attitude. I can't do that. I can no longer be on the throne of my life. Verse 2 says I died to sin. Verse 5 says death to sin. Verse 6 says old self was crucified. Verse 7 says one who was has died. Uh, verse 8 says uh, we died with Christ. Listen, again and again and again. There's got to be something inside of every last one of us. Listen, listen, listen. There's got to be something in every last one of us that's got to die. If we're going to experience the resurrection, we're buried with Christ. We die with Christ. We're crucified with Christ. Something's got to die in us if we're to experience the new life in Christ. It's like the great Pogo, the great philosopher said. It's a cartoon. He said, we have met the enemy and he is us. The sooner we can look in the mirror and see that we are our own destructive self, spiritually, emotionally, and otherwise, the sooner we can experience the ever-abounding grace of God. We've got to come to the end of ourselves. We've got to embrace our brokenness before we can experience His wholeness, which is what we've been talking about for all well over a month now. Out, out with the old sin-filled me.
in, in, in with the grace-filled Christ. Now what I want to experience is God's grace out with me, dead to me, in with Christ, alive with Christ. But first of all, there's this death thing that has to happen. Sin is out of my life. Grace is filling my life, is filling my life up, is, is consuming me. Now I want to ask you a question coming off a of Good Friday. How did Christ die? Well, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors. Some would say he could have died over a broken heart because all of his friends turned his back on him, walked away from him. Have you ever had somebody turn their back on you? Somebody that you thought the relationship was here and they lived like it was here. Man, there's a brokenness and there's a pain in that that is indescribable when somebody hurts you that deeply. Now take 12 of them and have them all turn their back on you and walk away and watch you die. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. He could have easily died of a broken heart. He could have died on a Roman cross. You think, well, he did die on a Roman cross. I absolutely believe he died on a Roman cross. But was it the cross that killed him? See, the Romans were expert at killing people. They had been doing crucifixions to in the BCs, years before Jesus ever walked the earth. They knew how to kill people in the most torturous, heinous way. The New England uh, Journal of Medicine has studied the crucifixion and has written extensively on this. I got a copy of that and I read it. And understanding how, how they put Christ through what he went through and how these doctors have thought it through what he went through on the cross. Because when you die on the cross, they, 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 they extend your body out as far as they can. They get you in such a position that your lungs cannot continue to breathe normally. And they begin to fill up with fluid. And as you fill up with fluid, you literally drown either in the fluid or you suffocate. And a slow, painful death. Did Jesus die from drowning, broken heart, or suffocation? Or, here's another one. What was the, the tipping point? Was it the blood loss? Think about that. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails before ever making it to the cross. A cat of nine tails was a whip with nine strands of leather coming out from it that had bone, that had metal woven into it. And his back was lacerated all the way down probably to his hamstrings. He was beaten from head to toe where not one square inch of his back would have received at least some form of lashing. It was ripped open and he was left there. You could die from a cat of nine tails and he was beaten to the point of death. He had a cross. Excuse me. He had, he had a crown of thorns pressed down on his head. More blood loss. The night before, I didn't even go into this, excuse me. The night before, he was hemorrhaging blood internally so much that he was sweating drops like blood. Do you remember that story in the Garden of Gethsemane? So he's bleeding internally. He's bleeding externally. He's got open wounds that we, we can't even fathom. It would be inhumane to treat anybody like today. And then they take him and they pierce his hands and his feet, hang him on a cross. So he's bleeding now from his extremities. And he's hanging there for you and for me. 
And then if that's not enough, the Roman soldiers come around because it's nearly the Sabbath and they got to make sure everyone's dead. And they just take a spear and they stick it in their side. And they came to Jesus and he was already dead. Now they knew what it took for someone to die. They had seen hundreds of thousands, if not tens of thousands of people die this way. But Jesus was already dead. Again, there's so many ways that he could have died. I'm going to just speculate it was the blood. He lost so much blood. He spilt so much blood. He spilt so much blood. Listen, the blood is the physical manifestation of God's grace. And he poured out every last drop until his organs could pump no more. Blood out of his body, onto the ground, onto the cross, onto those around him until he could bleed no more. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, I think gives support to this. God shows his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. How are we made right? Was it just his death? No. His blood had to be spilt, had to be poured out. And every last drop, much shall we, uh, uh, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And then you can go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and it says, Everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. When we think about our friends, and we'll have 20-something people today go through the baptismal waters, and they're standing in there. I want you to think about when they're standing in there that they are dying to something. They're dying to themselves. They're being buried and just like God emptied out every bit of the blood in his body till he was dead and buried and put into the grave. So at that time, it was the grace of God being poured into us. And just like that moment, whenever he comes back to life, there is hope. We needed him to die. We needed him to bleed, sad to say. Gory, rated R as it can be. We needed that to experience the grace of God. And he downloaded himself. He gave it all. Until there is a death, there cannot be a resurrection. So, out with our old sinful me. In with the grace of God. Thank God for the blood. And up with a new life in Christ. Sin is out of my life. Grace is filling my life. Freedom marks my life. I want, I want, I want some people in this room right now to stand up. Those who are going to be standing in the baptismal waters declaring that their faith, is the, 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 the sinful self is dead, that they've experienced the grace of God, and that they're going to live a new and a better and, a, and an upward life in Christ. If you're getting baptized today, would you stand up right now and go out that door right over there? And give them a hand as they stand up, as they declare their faith today. It says in verse 4, go there in Romans 6, verse 4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. It's our semblance of identifying with Jesus. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised 
from the dead by the glory of the Father. Listen, it was by the glory of the Father that Jesus came back to life. It's going to be the glory of God working in you that your life is going to be different than it was yesterday. And his grace flowing through you, the glory of God working in you. By that same glory, we too might be walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection life. The beauty of this moment. And the beauty of this moment of these people that are declaring their faith is that they're not, there's no magic potion in the water. There's nothing about that. But it is the, it is the declaration of what God has done internally in them and that will forever speak of the change in them. But what had to happen? Something had to die. They have to die just like Jesus had to die so that there can be a resurrection. That sinful self had to go away. Verse 6 says, I'm no longer slave. I'm set free. I have a new life. I want to go back to President Lincoln. Whenever he gave the Emancipation Proclamation, that's a mouthful. When he gave that, he declared that every slave in America was free. He put it on paper. The President of the United States put it on paper. You and I both know what happens next. It would claim the life, this declaration would end up claiming the life of 620,000 lives across our land. It would divide homes and families and countries and states. It would divide us and it would be this ugly war of the states over slavery. But even though the president declared this nation doesn't have slaves, you are free, it would be three more years before there would be an amendment to our Constitution. Another declaration of freedom. That you are now free. Booker T. Washington, in his book, Up From Slavery, was nine years old when his grandmother when living in West Virginia, excuse me, Southern Virginia, and on a plantation, when his grandmother told him about the significance of what he had just heard about the president making this statement of independence of all of all African American people, of all people, of any slavery whatsoever, that that this was a significant day. Of course, it would be three years before it would ever become a reality in the Constitution. And Booker T. tells the story of how what happened afterwards was celebration among the slaves. Excitement among the slaves. A party, if you will, for a couple hours among slaves. And listen to this. Most of those in slavery were now free. On paper, they were free. They were no longer called slaves. But they left that moment and they turned right back around and they walked back to their same employers. They walked back to the same living conditions. They walked back to the same pay and they went from slaves to sharecroppers. They didn't experience freedom. They they didn't live free. Even though on paper they were free, they were still a slave. There's a lot of people today, maybe, maybe you, 
who you know on paper because you have been a Christ follower. You were baptized yourself. You're a part of a church somewhere out there somewhere sometime. And you are on paper free. But in reality, you're a slave. Slave to self. Slave to the daily grind. Slave to debt. Slave to selfish desires. Slave to passions. You notice when you came in today, maybe you did, there was a cross and there were all kinds of little gauze strips that were on that cross. I was wearing mine this weekend. I got so tired. I was sick and tired of it. But it represented the sins of my life that enslaved me. And I put it on that cross. I was so excited to get here this morning and to put it on that cross. Listen, I am a free man and I want to live a free man. I want you to live free too.